You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, hello, and welcome to Food Network Obsessed. This is the podcast where we dish on all things food with your favorite chefs, food influencers, and Food Network stars. I'm your host, Jamie Sire, and today we have an iron chef from the Cali-Mexico border to talk about her multicultural culinary approach and favorite festive traditions. She is a chef, restaurateur, and she is cooking alongside Selena Gomez on Selena Plus Chef, Home for the Holidays. It's Claudette Cepeda. Claudette, welcome to the podcast. You have been very busy lately. Any pinch me moments that you can share with us? Well, recently I was invited to the UAE for a American chef diplomat trip. And I was able to stand at the very highest point of the Burj Khalifa and just really reflect on the last 23 years in this industry and where it's gotten me and where it's taken me. And it's It's incredible. So that was definitely a pinch me moment. Like if little Claudette could have seen that. (laughs) I mean, what what are your reflections on the last 23 years? Uh, So much pain, so much growth. Thankful for every single scar, bump, bruise that I have. I'm thankful for the, the, you know, band of misfits, the family that I've chosen over the last two decades in this industry. That really champion me. I champion them. They say, you know, they they say that, you know, the friends you should have are the ones that say your name in the rooms you're not in. Um, and I think I definitely that is one of the biggest reflection points that I wholeheartedly can say that that happens. That's incredible. You have described yourself as a border kid, you know, growing up between Tijuana and San Diego. How did straddling those two cultures kind of shape who you are as a person and as a chef? I I still do it. You know, I don't think that I'll ever not have a foot in each country. And I am trying to teach my kids that curiosity to like, if I can't teach them something for them to seek it out and try to learn. But the biggest thing that being a border kid has given me is I think empathy for Mm -hmm. sure. 
I grew up hearing tons of different languages, people that didn't look like me, you know, every single ethnicity gets truncated at the border when they're facing their own political crisis. They end up in a border to the United States and Tijuana happens to be the busiest port of entry in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it made me a very empathetic human. It made me a human that was easily adaptable to any situation because when things get a little crazy, that's mm-hmm. when I feel I am the best, um, really? which is a trait that most chefs have, but I definitely thrive in chaos. And uh, I don't think there's anything more chaotic than the border on a busy day. It's <laughs> absolutely true. I, I lived in San Diego for a few years, so I, I can totally picture what you're talking about. Um, when you think about food memories from that time in your life. Do you have a specific one that you can kind of pinpoint as the genesis of your journey as a chef? You know, it's so funny. In the reflection, I'm currently writing my cookbook and the cookbook is called Borderlands. Mm. And so I reflect on the first chapter is called matriarchs, the food off my matriarchs hips. You know, it's like we were hip children (laughs) in in the kitchen Uh usually. And I was such a voracious eater when people asked me for pictures as a cook. When I was cooking when I was little, I was like, no, like kids aren't usually like even to this day, anyone comes into my kitchen. I'm like, get out, get out. We have a saying in Spanish says, mucho ayuda que no estorba. It's like more help whoever doesn't get in the way. Like that's the biggest help we have. Just get the hell out. <laughs> get out. And yeah, it's like my grandma would always just say like, no, you're better off outside. Like just get out of my way and I'll have it done faster. So the control freak came in generationally. (laughs) But I think the biggest memories that I have are sitting around the table. Like my food memories are like breaking bread with my family members. I had a cousin who was four days older than me by one year and four days. So she was August 13th. I was August 17th. So every birthday became this huge celebration of like tandem birthday cakes because it was just easier. My family was kind of didn't really think of the trauma it would cause having, having to share a birthday. <laughs> but I will say that my house, since I was born um, into my teen years before my family lost it all, before uh, was always the meeting point for our families in, in San Diego. And then in Guadalajara, it was my aunt's restaurant. So I was always the biggest food memories are the hum of a group of Mexicans that sound like they are fighting to the death. Um, But really, they're just like really passionate of whatever they're talking about. Like we love you as much as we hate. Like we love with such passion and we also hate with such passion. You don't really know which is which. Everything's passionate. Yes. And I think we encompass that. And I get chills thinking about it. But that my food memories come from being around the table and eating nonstop. We're having breakfast and thinking about what we're having for lunch. And we're having lunch thinking about what we're having for dinner. Like insatiable palates. <laughs> you, you mentioned some of your, you know, your family members. Who who in your life really taught you how to cook? So he, riddle me this, Batman. Are you born <laughs> knowing how to cook? Is that an oh. innate trait that you have? And or are, is it teachable? I think... What I tell my cooks is I can teach you how to cook like me, but I can't teach you wanting to know how to cook, like wanting that, that like, again, that insatiable curiosity of getting something right, becoming so hell bent on getting a recipe right, even though you've done it 10 times and you're never satisfied. That is something that innately is like in you. Um, So I think that knowing like. I call it cook swag. It's like that the the fluidity in a kitchen you're born with. So for me, the people that, again, I was never really allowed in the kitchen. I was always a kid in between people's legs, like asking questions and eating and sneaking snacks. 
But growing up in my house in Tijuana, my my mom's mom helped raise us. My abuelita Paula, which she's my spirit guide. She's my angel. And she was my roommate up until my teen years. She taught me how... And I don't know if your mother's like this. I feel like this is culturally changes. It doesn't matter where you're from. But moms and grandmas have a really specific talent on opening the refrigerator drawer and making a three course meal when you just <laughs> opened it and said, there's nothing to eat. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to eat. The food is like bursting out of the pantries and the refrigerators and you like are just so helpless. You're like, I still do it because I'm not. <laughs> I think because I became a teen mom, it won't happen until I hit a specific age. <laughs> um, but my grandmother taught me how to make a lot with very little. At my mom's mom mm. and my going to Guadalajara, splitting my time between both parts of Mexico. And in Guadalajara, my aunt had a restaurant from the 70s. She started a, a 10 table plastic table restaurant selling pozole, turned into a full fledged full service restaurant that was a meeting point for our family and many different families. Generationally, my aunt knew when someone was getting baptized, married, died. It, it was just she was a hostess with the mostest. So the food part in Guadalajara became how to be the the hostess with the most is mm. how to treat people in your space like they were family so I, th I think that comes and obviously like the pozole was this the one woman made the pozole at my aunt's restaurant Doña Moni you could hear her sandals sliding into the the terracotta tiles as she was coming in it was like because <laughs> she couldn't lift her legs a woman but could barely walk but she, that was the, that was her domain and I was the only one allowed in to help her make the garnishes or shred mm. the pork so yeah it, it very specific core memories come of, mm -hmm. of loving food the way I do. I love that. I love those stories because you can really, you can hear in your voice and, and as you're recalling some of these things, like how it just kind of transports you, you know, back to that, that point in time and, and your love for it really, really comes through. What parts of your Mexican heritage are crucial in your opinion to, to kind of bring forth in your everyday life and also in, in your food? Oh, God, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Thank you for that. Because I feel like sometimes it gets redundant on these questions. You're an amazing interviewer. Well, I will say adaptability, definitely. It comes through in my flavors. You know, people always give me kudos when I go do a shoot or I go do, you know, an appearance and they're like, chef, we couldn't get X, Y, Z. I just kind of go, eh, it's okay. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. Other chefs would literally freak out because they're so stuck in their ways. And I am very fluid in that the magic that I do doesn't necessarily, it's, I can create a lot with a little. Like that my grandmother is like that, that I have her like sitting on my shoulder. She's like the good and the bad angel <laughs> sitting on my shoulder. And it's... It's that. And then I would say that what makes my food specifically like where I pull from is in Tijuana, being raised in Tijuana in the Baja region. It's a very specific flavor profile that the rest of the country doesn't necessarily have so keenly attuned. And it's the high acid, high salt, high chile. Like if it's supposed to be spicy, it's going to be spicy, but we also know how to do a beautiful dance with herbs. Mm. So it doesn't stay long. It's not like that, like ghost pepper burn. It's not a challenge. We want it to be like, ooh, kick in the face. But also the acidity comes in and mellows it out. And then the salinity comes in and mellows it. So it's a wave that you're riding with the spice. So that, I think, comes from being a Tijuana-raised child and, and and consumer. You know, I, I there's no seafood like the 
Baja region from the north to the south. And it's a combination of Mexican ingredients, Japanese ingredients, Chinese ingredients, Korean ingredients, and the techniques from all over the world. Because in my opinion, Mexican food is one of the most global inspired cuisines. We wouldn't have one without another culture coming in. You are the executive chef of Vaga in North San Diego. First of all, what's the inspiration behind the name? So I had a different name picked out. I started <laughs> I started working on the project in 2019. And I, you know, the concept was we're not going to do Mexican. Planting a flag that hard in a hotel, it would make it hard for everyone to be able. And it, it only had one signature space. So we needed to make sure it was for the masses. I hate the word approachable, so I'm not going to say that. It was for the masses. It was a little bit for everyone. But... Uh, It was definitely with the intention of having, like I called it one hand in the ocean and one hand in the farm and having that through line and me being who I am, there was absolutely going to be a Mexican touch here and there or everywhere, but being really focused on what makes San Diego so special for me, in my opinion, it's the immigrants that make it special. Mm -hmm. So immigrant cuisine was what I really wanted to focus on. If I wanted to do injara on a, an Ethiopian braise, that was okay because this was, I wasn't appropriating it. I was really paying homage to, it was my love letter to San Diego. So when I opened it, we did every country has a tortilla themed in my mind. And I told my cooks, I was like, we're going to do every country has a tortilla. So we did (laughs) Rota, we did roti, parathas, we did, you know, naan on a day, we did pita on another day, we would do injara, we would do tortillas. So we wouldn't get stuck in a box that we had to be this. And that was really what inspired it. And the name came from, I had Galene because she is one of Poseidon's children. And I was like, well, we're so close. We're literally on a bluff staring at the ocean. <laughs> and Galene is a, the goddess of fair seas. So she makes sure like the fishermen have a perfect calm sea. And I'm like, well, it's very appropriate for opening a new hotel in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> we really need her on our side. Sure. But a couple of our our investors were like, mm, that doesn't, I don't know. So at the end of the day, mind you, this is maybe two creatives in a conversation with 15 people. And finally, one of the owners like raised his hand and he's like, we need to all step away from this conversation and let the creatives do what they do. So the designer, Mark Zeff of the property and I got on a call and he started asking me things and he goes, well, what about your name? Your name is beautiful, Claudette. And I was like, well, there's a Claudette in New York, no affiliation, but there's definitely another restaurant named Claudette. And then he asked me what my middle name was. I was like, I'm A-I-M-E-E. So the French Amy, mm-hmm. my Francophiles run deep in Mexico. So <laughs> it, then he started asking me for nicknames. And I was like, well, Tete was because my brother couldn't say, my little brother couldn't say Claudette. So it was Tete. <laughs> and he's like, well, that sounds like titty. So that's not working at work. And then he was so then, Yeah, so that's going to work. And then I said, well, my grandmother always used to call me Baga. And that's a name, mm. nickname that, in generally speaking, in, in like culture, you, you hear Bago because it's a male, it's the, the, the uh, masculine version. I'm like, but girls can be vagas too, which means that you're always in the street. I'm like, I am such a gypsy. The wind turns and my elbow hurts and I'm like, I must take a flight. And (laughs) so as soon as I said it, he just looked at me and he like paused for a second. He was like, that's it. And it took literally, I think two, three words that I was just kind of saying nicknames. Mm -hmm. And he goes, it's vaga. And we went back to the team and I was like, it's vaga. And it was... It was that conversation with my grandmother every single time I called her on the phone because I was a single mother when before she passed in 2012, I was working three jobs and my career had was nowhere near what it is now. And I was struggling. I was working at Ikea at the returns department. I was trying to cook in the daytime, cook at nighttime. 
And she would always start the conversation with, andas de vaga? Are you out running around? And I was like, <laughs> always. I would always say siempre. Siempre. <laughs> uh, and so vaga came to be. Coming up next, Claudette talks about opening her restaurant Vaga and later reveals what it was like filming with Selena Gomez for Selena Plus Chef, Home for the Holidays. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I'm sure opening a restaurant is is everything that everybody on this podcast has said it is. It's hard. It's rewarding. It's it's draining. It's all of the things like wrapped up into one. What have you learned since opening this restaurant in 2021? Oh, I think I can wholeheartedly say this is my favorite opening to date because I have been doing to not to be overly hippie, but I've been doing so much work on my generational trauma. I'm figuring out why, why my country eats the way, what it eats and also why I am who I am, like what triggers me, how to be a better human, how to be a better leader, mother, daughter. And in that I've done so much what they call shadow work. And I've done so much like digging up to not be, to not have that, that stereotypical, you know, toxic masculine environment in a kitchen. And in this space, I really wanted to be so intentional. When we opened Alila, which is a property that uh, Vaga sits in, when we opened Alila, it was really leaning in onto the holistic side of life and that there is absolutely a niche to it. It doesn't have to be, you know, quote, quote unquote hippie. It could just be intentional. 
you know, and, and intentionality is something that I really wanted to move forward in. And when I opened in El Jardin in 2018, that was my big word, intention. So opening in 2021 in the middle of the pandemic, I was like, we just need to be so intentional of the people that are here, what's going on in the world and what they're individually going through. Like we never know what someone's struggling through, right? Immediately our, our triggers are to attack anyone that attacks us, but instead of taking a step back and being like, I don't know what you're going through and I'm just going to give you love and light and... Maybe this is just not our time for me. Like, I, I rather walk away from a situation rather than like pounce on my instinct to also get that crazy. Um, so opening this restaurant was leaning whole, hard, hard, hard and wholeheartedly on humanity. We would do, you know, 530. We were, you know, the cooks come in at six o'clock. Mind you, this is a full big property. It's a quarter of a mile long. So it's a oh, very wow. long strip of a hotel. Our resort and at the end of the strip you're met with this bluff the last like bluff in southern california in like san diego like socal mm -hmm. our my version of socal and that was not constructed on so it took 30 years for this red tape to finally get through build and i saw it from studs to service mm -hmm. and taking my team every morning at 5.30 when they were supposed to get there at 6, they would sh they would choose to show up at 5.30 so we could make, I would make them espressos in my in my little Breville espresso machine in the office. <laughs> I would I, It was like mom's coffee hour and <laughs> everyone had their coffee and then we would walk out together to the bluff and we would just stare at the ocean and breathe and on our hiring day or like our first day, we walked down to the from the bluff, you can walk down to the stairs on the beach and everyone picked a rock and the rock symbolized who you felt you were. Like what rock you identified with, I called it. Mm. And I don't know how I thought about this. I've never seen it before. It sounds very <laughs> out there. But I said, now in six months, we're going to come back down and we're going to pick another rock. And we did this exercise where we put the two rocks next to each other. And the first rock was a little jaggedy. It was a little bit... Uh, you know, some of them were beautiful because some of them had were already there. Um, and then some of them went from this tiny little rock to all of a sudden they came out with this like mini boulder that was super <laughs> polished and beautiful. And I was like, this is think of this as like your personal growth. Mm -hmm. Like think of this as like, wow, how far you've come in the in the safe space that I've given you. So opening Baga was we did we do line yoga whenever I show up. It's a, everyone take a minute and we do. Like, no matter if the tickets are like spitting out of the machine and that like insane noise that you hear out of the chip machine that we all like have trauma with and nightmares like with. Nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't matter. And and honestly, when we did it, when we do it and the, the customers turn around and see that we're doing it, they don't care that their food's going to take an extra three minutes because people would show up at 5 p.m. to watch our stretch. Um, really? Yeah. And, and it was it's. It was one of the most beautiful. This is a very long-winded answer. I love um, it. <laughs> it was a very beautiful opening. And I I try to keep figuring out who I am so I can become a better leader every single time. And, you know, the staff that's still there from when we opened, they still, they you know, they still sage the place. They still, <laughs> they burn Palo Santo. Like, they still believe, you know, everyone has to drink the Kool-Aid in order for something to work. And they still believe <laughs> that when we did that, it helped them feel better. Mm. You've talked before, too, about with your team that you guys have a, a quote, full ass approach. <laughs> um, can you kind of explain that a little bit? Yeah. I, I, you know, if something's not worth doing 100 percent, don't do it. 
you know, if it, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. One of the, you know, all of those phrases always kind of vibrate in my ears a little bit. And the, the full ass team is, why would we do anything half? You know, mm -hmm. why would we do anything halfway? Why are we going to split ourselves into 10 different things and we're doing everything half ass? Like we're a full ass team. If it means delegating, if it means splitting off into other teams, um, then we make those decisions. We make those calls. Uh, what, you know, like you're not, you're not missing out. What is for you will never leave you. What it didn't come to you was never for you. That's kind of the, all of those, you know, <laughs> quotes so to speak like whatever we want to call them like i'm such a hippie in that kind of sense and a full ass means if it's worth doing we're going to do it 100 percent. and when we do it we go hard and it's intimidating <laughs> to watch but we do it with so much pleasure you know we did it when we did the, every competition that i'm with my sue team we do it with so much pleasure and the other side of the teams that we're going up against look at us like we're crazy and like <laughs> you're doing yoga when the clock already started and like yeah and we'll finish early Mic drop. Because like, we'll we're so see at the finish line. Yeah, because we're so in tune with each other. And that is that like full ass mentality that I got your back, you got mine. There's no words that need to be said, but we're gonna go hard. And when I there's time like, to play, it's time to play. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of what you're describing is not <laughs> like a typical kitchen environment. <laughs> so why do you think it's important and why does it work? It works because people feel seen. And I think that that is the one thing that's so broken in the hospitality industry. And I, I still feel it's not seen at times, you know, when someone mm -hmm. asks me, will you do a catering event? And then they send me the list and it's like, you go in through the back door. I'm sorry. I'm not a backdoor person. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am not the help, you know? And that's like, we are professionals. We are chefs. We go in through the front door and mm -hmm. we are proud to be here. And so is my staff. We are not the help. We are, <laughs> we, are, we give a service. We are not servants. And that, and, and teaching my kids, my, I call my kids, teaching my kids literally and figuratively my own children as well, that they, they matter and they take up space. They, I hate say when people say that the invisibles, hell no, we are, we are 3D. We are, we are here. You can see us. So we are the underestimated and, <laughs> and teaching my staff, you know, to value themselves and to hold themselves up to the highest standard regardless of how other people see you, it's going, you're going to, you're going to respect me because I respect myself. Mm. And that, that works because seeing someone and, and you know, the best, one of the best moments in my, in, in opening Alila is I have one cook. I won't say his name, even though he's one of my favorites <laughs> because he's one of my favorites. I won't say his name, <laughs> but he, he was always like, Oh, I mean, we opened the pandemic with 14 food and beverage employees and 14 staff members to run one restaurant, one pool restaurant, a coffee shop and catering. That's insane for a seven day a week, you know, three service operation. Um, and he would always take the sixth day. He would always take the, the, the double shifts. And then I, I saw his face slowly like losing life. And, and I am really intuitive. So it's like, I know something was wrong and he wouldn't tell me. And he said, chef, I have anxiety. I pulled the ripcord and I was like, <laughs> you are no longer on six days. You are only in the morning. You're only five days. I don't care if you want overtime. You're not allowed overtime until you tell me you're ready for it. And, mm -hmm. and the ability to be able to tell your chef, I have anxiety. I need help was such a moment of me that I'm giving them a safe space to be able to say that. 
one of my jobs that I had many moons ago is I would I literally lost my neck because whenever my chef came in, I would do this. <laughs> and I was on every anti-anxiety med. I was like, tur- I called it my turtleneck. Like I, I would just like fold into myself because I did not want him to see me. I wanted to become invisible because he if he saw me, he would attack me on something. You know, he would throw my prep away or he would tell me what I did was awful. And I was so, it was such a, <laughs> to not be cheesy, an aha moment to quote Oprah. It was such an aha moment that I was on my purpose and I was trying to do my part on making these kids with these like severe scars from other restaurants that they came in with feel seen. I mean, to give you an example, we literally gained weight when we opened the restaurant because <laughs> one, my my cook that was in charge, we did family meal, but it was like loosey goosey. And then one of the prep guys on the team said, you know, I would really love to take family meal. And I was like, go for it. This whole shelf, just knock yourself out. And he would make three course meals and breakfast, lunch and dinner. And he would leave dinner before he left. And he was there, you know, 14 hours a day with a smile on his face. And he told me that one of his chefs one time said at another hotel he was working at, why do you put so much effort in feeding the dogs? And I was like appalled by that. But imagine hearing that and what it felt like, like, and now this is someone that comes from South America who, who fled because he couldn't be who he was in that country. And that leaves marks on your soul. Like the, yeah. the, those fingerprints are are just awful to have. So I needed to work on polishing that fingerprint off. And what made that special is we we were all very much seen. Even me, when I would having a, I was having a bad day, they knew. Like I was very vulnerable in that state of I'm not in a good place. Give me a minute, and they were they would give me a minute. And then all of a sudden they would attack me with love. You know, flowers (laughs) would show up on my desk. My flowers were, my desk was never without flowers. Oh, that's, I I think that that speaks a lot to the type of environment that you've created and that, that just like you said, that safe space for people, which doesn't occur a lot, you know, in the industry, but hopefully, hopefully more in the future. As you mentioned, you have over, you know, two decades of experience in the industry. So when did getting in front of the camera become part of your career? I used to hate going to tables. In 2015, I opened a restaurant with another celebrity chef and I was like, this is going to be a thing because he's never here. Mm -hmm. So obviously as a CDC, I'm the face. I I, I run this restaurant and it was a behemoth of a restaurant. It was 250 seats. It was like a nightclub at night. It was, I I mean, to the point where I had a walkie talkie running expo, Um, (laughs) two different menus, two different floors. It was chaos. Uh, uh, The walk-in was in the basement. It was- a huge undertaking, but we were the first restaurant in San Diego to get nominated for James Beard Best New Restaurant. So obviously I was doing something right, but it came to towards the end of my year there. The chef asked me, he was asked by the Top Chef Mexico team, which they had just bought the brand and they had had one season before they asked for like the next recruits, so to speak. They were they wouldn't they, they weren't doing casting like the way we do it in the States because there's it was so new. So they were going off of, you know, the celebrity chefs in Mexico, putting their their chef's um, name in the hat. So the chef asked me and. You know, Javier Plasencia is one of my big brother's mentors. Between him and Gavin, I think I created a very specific like chef personality and, and <laughs> discipline because Javier is so chaotic and everything he makes is delicious. And and Gavin's so disciplined and everything he makes is delicious. So I fell somewhere in the middle. Okay. Uh, but Javier asked me, you know, they asked me if they if I knew anyone, I think you should do it. And I was like, 
I, I don't even like being in tables. Like I, <laughs> it, it, it's so much anxiety. Like I'm so awkward and I always say the wrong thing at the wrong time. And he goes, you should just go see how you measure up with your peers, you know, and this is in Mexico. So there's always this, there's always a little bit of a, like a squeaky wheel from Mexican chefs from Mexico towards Mexican chefs in America or in the United States. But I thrive in uncomfortable situations and I got fired May of 2016 because I was, I was quote unquote too hard on my team. But I was like, I have 60 kitchen staff members and awards up the wazoo. That doesn't come from me not being disciplined. That doesn't mean it doesn't come from me drawing boundaries for the cooks and like we can have fun, but we have to work. Mm-hmm. And it was a very specific dynamic with, you know, a Mexican company having a woman lead. There's feelings involved. And I said, you know what? The hell with it. I did a, a stint in the Valle de Guadalupe that summer in 2016. And in August, um, Go figure in that in that stint in Valle de Guadalupe, I was helping another chef mentor his CDC on how to be a more empathetic leader. So I'm like, I knew I was in the right. I knew that the right reason why I got let go wasn't a, a right reason. Like, it, I was like, no, I'm right. not going to change who I am. Like, this is how you lead restaurants as a female or as a male. So August 2016, I go to Mexico City for the very first time because I'm from Guadalajara. So Mexico City was this foreign place. You know, I, I my, my dad used to go there. My family has family friends there. But I'd never been there myself. So, so 2016, I was a block away from Frida Kahlo's La Casa Azul, her blue house, where she was mm-hmm. born and died. And I've always had a very specific, special connection with her. And so I went there and I bawled my eyes out and just sat in her garden. And the next day I had a meeting with the director, an on-screen test. And I'm very competitive. I come from a family of all boys. I was the only girl. <laughs> so I was like, I was born for competition. I am kind of ruthless but because I'm kind of competing against myself like I I always want to be better than yesterday but I'm really good at trash talking so (laughs) because I have a bunch of brothers you know I'm really good at trash talking so I will give you your one-liners I will deliver and uh, September I want to say 2016 I was on a plane to go film across Mexico because they didn't do it state by state like the U.S. does. They were based in we were based in Mexico City. That was our big production studio. But we were traveling to Nayarit. We traveled to Jalisco. We traveled to Michoacan, and I and going to the open air markets was such a different. We didn't have to go to the grocery store. We went to a market, so Very it cool. just blew the lid. And the cameras were just there. I learned how to zone out from the cameras being there. It was just mm. like being myself. They're in the way usually in a competition setting. They're not supposed, you're not supposed to make eye contact, break the fourth wall. Like you're, they're just there. And, and usually you're jumping over a camera guy is going like cursing at them. <laughs> like I'm going to burn you if you don't move. So it, it becomes this very like weirdly natural space to be in. And then I came home at the end of 2016 and 2017, I said yes to Top Chef US. So that really was like the catalyst one after another. I shouldn't have done that. Stockholm syndrome, (laughs) big time. I was a sweetheart and it was a sweetheart in Mexico, but I was very, very traumatized by the time I got to the US for a lot of the, a lot of reasons, but I hadn't done the shadow work. I hadn't really seen myself, but it was such a learning experience and I don't regret a minute of it. But that was the, the catalyst for my TV career. And now it's uh, it's going strong, I would say. Yeah. And <laughs> the camera I, loves me, apparently. <laughs> That's what they tell me. It's I, I would agree with that. You know, I saw an interview with you where you talked about as a kid, you know, not really having anyone who looked like you 
on screen to kind of look up to. What does it mean to you now to be that person on TV for maybe a young Claudette out there? You know, and that's the biggest, that's the biggest driving force of why I want to keep doing it. Like the platform in a restaurant is like, say, you know, it's, it's yay big, which is whoever's listening. It's very small. It's like a, <laughs> and then, and, and the, per, the platform that you have on television, especially nowadays with streaming, like it, it just grows so exponentially. It grows country to country, right? Like you can see, people can see me worldwide and that amount of influence and platform has so much responsibility that comes with it. But I, I love that I get to give someone hope. I get to give someone that the ability to believe and to dream bigger than that they ever thought possible. The thing about our culture and Mexican culture, and I, and I know this transcends other cultures, but I can only speak to mine is that if you're born in a low socio socioeconomic uh, tier of humanity, they generally want to keep you there. And no one makes you feel less capable than your own family, than the, the people around you, because they are so comfortable in that space. They can't fathom seeing someone else that, you know, it could be them, but they can't fathom someone else leaving. Like, how do you escape? This is this is what we're meant to be. We're meant to be this. We're meant to have scarcity, scarcity mindset. And I, I want to buck that rule and be like, no, I'm going to hit that wall and I'm going to break it down. If it doesn't have a, if the door doesn't exist, let's make a window and I will crawl. I will, you know, set my own path. And one of my favorite, I mean, daily, I get messages on a day-to-day basis of people that say, you know, cause I, my, my social media is, I, I love food, but it's not who I am a hundred percent. Like it's, it's, a, it's what I do. It's who I am in, in my core. But really, it's like humanity. I'm a multi-dimensional human being. I'm a mother. I'm a, a, a spiritual human being that always wants to figure out how to be a better person. So my social media is kind of this mixture of like motivation. Like I've been there. It's messy. I'm a single mother. I've been a single mother for the last 20 years. That's really messy. You know, and the responsibility that I have to teach, especially my children, to dream big. And if your dreams don't scare you, dream bigger. Like do everything in fear. I get asked that a lot. Like, how do you, how do you push through that fear? I'm like, I do everything in fear. Like before I shoot anything, I am so nervous. My hands are frozen. Like my hands are cold right now. They're like clammy and I'm just in my house (laughs) talking to you, but doing things from that space, I'm always authentically me. And sometimes that's really awkward and I have ADHD and it's all over the place. And sometimes it's incredibly vulnerable and emotional and I cry at the drop of a hat and and that's okay because I am authentically messy and that gives other people the license to be themselves as well and to speak up for themselves when someone wants to trample all over them. Like, again, if something is for you, it will never leave you. And, and you can't look at what other people have and say, I want that too, because that comes from a very negative, like, like birth point of like, not only is it scarcity mindset, but it's also jealousy and that's not a good emotion to have. So celebrating other people's wins is like what I do. I, I tell myself like, hell yeah, good job. Like, you know, if I, t- if I don't know them, I'm like, yeah. And if I do know them, I send them a message. I'm so proud of you. Like, hell yes, this is for you. Cause what's for me is going to come to me when it's supposed to. And you know, the amount of people, because I'm a light skinned Mexican is a whole other can of worms Mm -hmm. you know like well i can't claim brown girl because i'm more of an olive i'm like that's such crap 
<laughs> first of all, I'm, you know, I'm 30% indigenous. My mother's, you know, three quarters indigenous. Like I absolutely can claim brown girl energy because it's who I am. And because I don't, I'm a Mexican vampire. I don't like the sun. It makes me age faster. <laughs> Operation is that your sister still going strong 20 years later. And also most people have fake tans. So I don't even <laughs> want to hear it. I absolutely have brown girl energy. And anyone that tells you that you do not have claim to that energy. And I'm being told that I'm not Mexican. I'm not, I can't claim brown girl energy or I'm not brown pride because I'm not. It's just because I avoid the sun. Like it's like it's my job. I spent too much, too much money on tattoos to, you know, let the sun damage my skin. <laughs> that's, that's a great point as well. Well, I mean, you get to share a lot of that heritage and your skills with fellow Mexicans, Selena Gomez on Selena and Chef Home for the Holidays, alongside an all-star cast, Eric Ajapong, Alex Gornishelli, Michael Simon. Um, we talked about pinch me moments at the top. What was it like to cook in Selena's home alongside of her? You know, and I think a lot of my a lot of my food network peeps can agree that we've cooked with some really amazing people. Like mm -hmm. a, a pinch me moment was when Martha Stewart came to my restaurant and like oh licked the gosh. plates clean. Oh like, my god, that's a big that pinch me moment. That's and that is that is the pinch me moment. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the goat came to my restaurant, and when I got the call for Selena, it was immediately I have a very specific Selena core memory. She went on tour, and my daughter was I think eight or nine, I think or seven. I'm sorry, mom brain. Okay. Uh, and she uh, loves Selena. So we are Selena from Wizards of Waverly Place, Selena. Like that's how <laughs> back we go where we were Selena fans. And when I got the call, I was like, oh, the first people I told were my children. And it's like, NBA be damned. <laughs> like, I, like they're not going to tell anyone. And my my son immediately was like, can I go? I mean, he's 20 years old. So he's obviously like crushing on a Selena for a different reason. <laughs> of course. And I was like, no, you can't. But don't be weird. And my daughter <laughs> pulled out the concert booklet of, of that tour. And I sent a picture to the producer and I was like, this, this is what this this episode will mean to us. It's like such a full circle moment of the people Again, and I'm going to be another cheesy, like, you are the sum of the five people around you, like the people around you are who, who you want to be. So always strive for having people that are better than you so you can rise up to the occasion mm -hmm. and being in the circle of the people that the chefs that are also on this, you know, holiday series. Eric is a great friend of mine, one of my favorite human beings. I've never met Michael. Alex, I was able to judge one of her episodes recently. And there are such there are people that I've been looking up to for the last 20 years. You know, I remember the first time I saw Michael on TV. I remember the first time I saw Alex on TV and to be able to be in her house. The thing about that, I, I realized cooking for so many beautiful human beings that are so incredibly successful in their own right in the media world is all they want to be. Do, all they want to be is treated like human beings. So again, in that seeing component, they don't want to be fanned like on they don't they want to and it's at her house like that is the most <laughs> sacred space like right only like five people are allowed inside of my house most people get met at the porch so the fact that i was invited into her home into her sacred space where she absolutely has such a, a beautiful boundary of like that's her safe haven i was very conscious of i didn't ask her for a selfie i didn't ask you know to, to i didn't take pictures where it was disrespectful mm. and I, I treated her like she was one of my friends you know, yeah. I called her comadre and I showed her the book and she sat with her little sister and, she, and, and like her little sister, I think, wasn't even born when that concert happened. So for them to share those moments and to go through it and to flip through it, 
as like the voyeuristic side, I just was looking at her, see her life mm-hmm. evolve and like where she was then to where she is now. It was like, I felt like her big sister. I felt like like very <laughs> maternal in that sense and very protective of her space and honoring her privacy. Mm-hmm. But to make her feel like one of the girls, you know, like yeah. one of my girl, one of my girlfriends cooking. I'm going to show you how to make this food. And, you know, so much of our cuisine is matriarch based. So I really was like the big sister. I wanted to take that role on. So she felt safe. That's so cool. I mean, what what is your favorite part about, you know, guiding somebody new like that through their own cooking journey? To make mistakes. I yeah. mean, I learned English watching Julia Child on TV in Tijuana. <laughs> so I'm ESL and we learned English watching the Cape, you know, public broadcast TV and her and Jacques show and her show. Like, I remember watching this very awkward American woman make a lot of people very happy by being herself. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's who I want. That, that's who I aspire to be. <laughs> so much of our matriarchs in Mexico are like very like you must do this. You, what do you mean you don't have freshly milled corn? Like they're hard ass. <laughs> they're hard asses. But my favorite thing to do is be able to walk into someone's home and say, throw the caution to the wind. If you don't have that adaptability mindset, I want to teach every home cook and every you know successful human that has nothing to do with food that. It's okay to make mistakes and it's okay mm-hmm. to read a recipe, a savory recipe and take it as a guideline, not like final say. It's not a Bible. Like this is not, this is something that you can absolutely take and say, I really don't like this. It doesn't mean that you can't make it because you don't like it. Just choose something else that you that's similar and or completely different and mm-hmm. start your own traditions. Because also tradition is another trigger word for me because two Mexican families living next door to each other can have completely different traditions because they are a meld of lots of different fingerprints. Mm -hmm. So like make your own traditions. I wanted her to feel so comfortable. And, and we unlocked some beautiful core memories that she had with her grandmother in Texas. And that's where I get my like mojo. It's like, (laughs) yes, tell me more. The first question I ask people that I meet is what did you love eating when you were growing up? Mm. Everyone has a core memory of food. Everyone does, no matter if it's a good or a bad one. If your mother was an awful cook, it made you a good cook. <laughs> you know, if your grandma was mean, well, it, it made you love someone else's grandmother. You know, like it, we all have these in our human experience. So I'm just trying to get my PhD in humanity. <laughs> I think you're well on your way. <laughs> you talked about, you know, your aunt was like the best hostess. What is the key difference between cooking and entertaining do you think oh doña lore my aunt i swear she never walked she would wear these giant so my aunt is this larger than life personality she always dyed her hair red and my my, my dad's side is very very fair-skinned little like jewish features some people think that I, i'm arab some people i think that i'm indian mm. we, we're this melting pot like in, if you like we're the united colors of benetton in my family mm. And this human being would walk through, would not even walk, I'm going to say, would float through her dining room in these beautiful, large, like, uh, ballet folklorico skirts, um, red fake nails, like Peggy Bundy, (laughs) um, red lip, so bold. And she was a single mother of six children that she sent all of her kids to the university and they all became attorneys and or entrepreneurs uh, through Pozole. So seeing the power that this woman had to wield someone's comfort 
levels. <laughs> like she could literally like manipulate the air around us to make us feel like we were in her cocoon. And time didn't exist at Las Calandrias. We were we, we would open the shop at, you know, 6 a.m. I when I went to my I would get sent for three months at a time to Guadalajara when I was little. And I would go to the market with her in the morning. I would receive the dessert, the jericayas that would get dropped off on a paint bucket. I was quality control. And <laughs> seeing her at the register, you know, check everyone out. She took one loan in the life of her restaurant and paid it back with interest within wow. the first year. And she was so strong willed that I'm going to make this on my terms. I'm going to make it on my and I'm going to make everyone feel so touched I mean, full soccer team, like the, the Chivas would just land inside of her restaurant and everyone felt safe. So what she taught me was to be so in tune with people's needs and know them preemptively before you know what you want. She knew it literally was before someone's hand went up to ask for limes. It landed it, before <laughs> someone like she knew out of the corner of her eye because she worked service. She didn't work in the kitchen. It was like the doñas worked in the kitchen at the corner of her eye. She could see that someone was missing salt on the table. And if there's anything my people always need before they even taste the food is lime and salt. <laughs> so that again, that like shit, that moment of her eyes were everywhere. And it's a sixth sense. You can't again, one of those things you cannot teach. It's this very specifically in tuned ability, almost like clairvoyance in her dining room. And I, I believe I absolutely absorbed it to where I knew where something was going to fall before it fell. I could look up and be like the cobwebs. So my team has a thing where I say, look up, look down, because no one ever looks down in a restaurant because they're so focused on looking at straight. And then they're mm -hmm. missing the crumbs. They're missing the fork. They're missing the napkin on the floor, the, the crumbs that a kid left. And that was her. So she taught me how to be so embedded in her, in my restaurant spaces. Like she became her restaurant space. Is that, that's, it's like almost like it spoke to her when it needed something. <laughs> it's weird, well, but it works. It's definitely something that it seems like you have uh, inherited from that side of the family for sure. You know, and as we talk about the, these holiday traditions and recipes, what do you look forward to this time of year? As my kids get older, my favorite thing, and it's the same, I mean, it, it was a, rite of passage for me too like when I was little I was like oh Christmas time at making tamales and making tamales as like in a mob right my grandmother <laughs> like yeah Henry Ford created the automation system no they didn't no Mexican mothers did <laughs> because if you ever built tamales there was an automation line before it was a thing <laughs> like we created that well before anyone else did but what I now look forward to is when my kids were little, they were the same. Ah, oh, God, no. Can I just come in and eat? Like they would like zoom in like seagulls, take a snack and leave. Uh, <laughs> and and now I force them to do it with me and mm. not force them in a negative way. But I do tell them like I it's just the three of us. We're the three musketeers. And if you don't take all of this from me and ask the questions of, to my mom, because who's their last living grandparent, like you're going to miss out a big chunk of who you are and why you are, how you are. So ask the questions, get in the kitchen and make tamales. And that was Selena's takeaways. She remembers making tamales with her grandmother. And so I mo look most forward to uh, making memories with my children that are their own, but like rooted in mine. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom used, my mom 
learned how to cook when she met my dad. Before that, she never cooked because my, my grandmother helped her raise my, my two older brothers or my half brothers. So my mom worked. She was a manager at a bank. So my grandmother helped raise my older two siblings. And when she met my dad, my dad loved had the boast like gourmand palate. He immigrated to Los Angeles in the 60s when it was like the heyday of like hot cuisine. And, you know, Wolfgang was becoming Wolfgang. And mm-hmm. So in Tijuana, we were eating the most random stuff. I mean, we, I remember eating escargot when I was four. I remember oh, eating wow. like like steamed artichokes with drawn butter because my mom saw it on TV. And this was very unlike most Tijuana households. You know, we were eating Chinese chicken salad of like the L.A. Chinese chicken salad that became famous and obviously not Chinese, but it was it has its own category. And I was eating that food. And so showing my kids and telling them those stories and then having them make their own memories is like, that's what the holidays are about. They're out of school. They're both at San Diego state, Mm. you know, holler Aztec moms. Um, (laughs) And they, the good thing about both of my children is they actually love family time. And I, while I'm such a hermit and can absolutely be alone and love my solitude, they force me to create those memories with them and like to bring family in and, my son thrives in that environment. He thrives in chaos, that family chaos. So I know it comes from me. Uh, I've just learned to learn, love my solitude in my older age, but uh, making those food memories with them and like that chaos of, you know, their uncle's kids screaming and, and my brother has four boys all, all under the age of 11. And it's like, it's chaos, utter <laughs> chaos. And while I love silence now, I know that they need it because that's going to make fingerprints for them and that's going to make memories for them. Yeah, they're going to have maybe they'll be talking about those core memories in a podcast interview. Exactly. 15 years or something like that. Well, this has been so much fun chatting with you, getting to know you. We're going to finish things off with a little rapid fire round. And then we have one final question for you. Okay. so rapid fire round. What's on your kitchen playlist? Ooh, well, it depends on the mood. But right now I'm really into Little Wayne (laughs) between Little Wayne and Shania Twain. That's those are my two. And everything in between. And everything in between. <laughs> uh, if there was an episode of Claudette's favorite things, what would you be giving away? Uh, fashion and makeup. I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> Beauty and fashion. All right. Yeah. Every Mexican household has blank. Uh, screaming women. Uh, <laughs> it has a tortilla press. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Most sentimental tattoo. Oh, that's a hard one. So I have a, a I have a cannoli. Mm. Uh, if you can you can see here. I have a cannoli. Mm. One of my one of my mm. servers at El Jardin. He passed away very suddenly of a heart attack. And he used to when I it was a Sunday brunch. We would do pan dulce. He would always walk through because he was a Jersey boy, a, an Irish Jersey boy. So he had a hard Jersey accent. And he would walk past my pan dulce and he was like, "What is this chef? A cannoli?" <laughs> it was he would call Conchas cannolis. And so I have a cannoli in his memory. And that's one of my most recent and most uh, treasured tattoos. All right. What's your next tattoo? Frida Kahlo has some beautiful food, live food paintings that I'm going to wrap one of my legs in. Oh my gosh. That sounds incredible. Similar to the the tablescape in Selena's, that fruit tablescape, that's going to go wrapped around my leg. That's so cool. All right. Our final question is not rapid fire. And this is a question we ask everybody at the end of our interviews. They're all different. So it's just what what would be on the menu for your perfect food day? So we're talking breakfast, lunch, dinner, dessert. You can travel, travel in between meals, you know, do whatever you want to make your perfect day. We want to hear about it. So take us through it. 
My perfect day starts in Paris and starts with a like delicious cafe au lait and sitting in this little tiniest table with the best croissant of your life, followed by a hamburger and walking around every single uh, arrondissement in Paris. Then I go for lunch. For lunch, where will I go for lunch? Yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll go to Oaxaca for lunch. Okay. I'll go to Oaxaca for lunch in the center square of Oaxaca, where the cathedral is at, and have a beautiful what they call empanadas which is just like a, a tortilla with uh, shredded like um, mole amarillo is one of my favorites like shredded chicken or turkey with mole amarillo and a tortilla freshly made tortilla and you're just watching this people i love watching people live their life that like sick kind of pleasure you get from voyeuristically like people watching <laughs> and then dinner is coming home dinner is having my mom make Topita, which we call um, sopa de fideo. My daughter calls it sopita. Um, for a starter, with it, so it's pasta sautéed with like an aromatic onion and garlic. With a tomato-based soup, you have that as a starter. Then you go into your albondigas al chipotle, which my mom makes so deliciously, stuffed with a hard-boiled egg. My mom did has been doing this my entire life. People ask me where it comes from. I'm like, it's kind of like my mom's Scottish egg, but <laughs> it's delicious. I make it for my kids, but my mom's is still better. And finish off with arroz con leche that my mom makes with folded meringue in the rice pudding. Oh, wow. I mean, that sounds perfect. It sounds like exactly all the things that we talked about. And thank you so much for for sharing a little bit of your life with us and hopefully more pinch me moments in 2024. Oh, let's put that out there. Absolutely. More <laughs> pinch me moments. Thank you so much, Jamie. You can catch Claudette on the new special Selena Plus Chef Home for the Holidays streaming now on Max. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a thing. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review. We love it when you do that. That's all for now. And we will catch you foodies after the holidays. We will be back with new episodes on January 26th. See you in the new year. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.